having to convince people constantly that this wasn't crazy and this was possible. And now as more and more people catch on yet, it's like kind of tumbling forward more and more momentum and all it's bigger than the sum of its parts now. So it's not just us like as Mercer Street evangelists, you know, it's like snowballed in a really positive way. Welcome to Appalachian Startup, stories of new ideas that eventually became thriving businesses in areas that most would consider a bad investment. I'm J.D. Belcher, and I started this podcast because I took the same path as a lot of these folks. I'm a former coal miner, and now I make films through my own production company called JJN Multimedia. I wanted to hear others speak of their journey to not only give new beginners hope, but to help me grow as a fellow entrepreneur. On this first week of Mercer Grassroots March, we're going to hear from one of the organizers of the Princeton Renaissance Project and the Mercer Street Grassroots District. Lori McKinney is the director of the Riff Raff Arts Collective. Her and her husband Robert decided in the mid-2000s that they wanted to build an artistic scene for folks to enjoy local music and the world of all things creative arts. Fast forward 15 years, and they're collaborators with dozens of businesses and leaders in the entrepreneurship movement in West Virginia. Learn about the regrowth of Mercer Street and also how they built their dream in Princeton, West Virginia. Enjoy. So it's kind of slightly challenging to explain the overarching big picture, although it seems really simple to us how it all fits together. Sometimes it's a challenge to explain how all the entities fit together. But the Riff Raff Arts Collective is really a collective of of various entities. Uh, We planted roots here on Mercer Street in uh, 2006, and the building that we're sitting in right now, the room upstairs became kind of like an epicenter for our creative community. Uh, Robert and I had been organizing... um, we started with Culture Fest, World Music and Arts Festival in 2004, and we were also running open mic nights and had started an Earth Day festival. And so we were like renting city parks and coffee houses and various venues at the time. And we just kind of knew that we wanted our own space. And back when I was in school, I had um, kind of been friends with some people from the art department. And uh, one, one particular friend had uh, described to me this space that she was involved in. It was like a collaborative workspace for artists. And I got really tuned into the notion of having a place where like performing artists and visual artists and all kinds of artists could kind of come together and share resources and tools and create together. Mm-hmm. And so I had been kind of like focused on that idea. And I remember when Robert and I first met, I explained that to him. And so we sort of started to focus on that notion of having a space like that. And so when the opportunity presented itself in 2006, um, we we sort of dove into the space and, and set out to create something right. like that. How did the opportunity present itself? Well, we had been uh, just sort of pondering uh, downtown for a while. We started in, in Henson, actually, in Summers County. Um, and we, I had been organizing an open mic night there with this poet and songwriter I had met. Um, and uh, the, the person who owned the building at the time uh, just sort of asked us if we wanted to take over that space. And so we started an open mic night, but I don't think the town was quite ready for that sort of change yet. There were a lot of young people with like mohawks and stuff hanging out on the street. Right. It just, there were people in the town that kind of like bucked up. Um, And it just wasn't easy for us to be there. And so we decided to start searching here in Princeton. And uh, we we just were really eyeing the downtown and looked up and down the street. And we found this uh, building like a diamond in the rough. And, uh, um, so at first we were renting places mm-hmm. and I uh, never even pondered the idea of being able to um, own a building. But uh, my dad and my sister um, were kind of eyeing uh, 
Princeton at the same time. And my dad asked us if we wanted to kind of team up and pull all of our resources together and, and get a building. It never would have occurred to me before. So I was like, my mom was kind of blown at first at the, at the prospect because a lot of times what happens is artists will plant roots in a place like this and they'll transform it and then they'll get priced out and have to leave. And so the notion of being able to have ownership of a building uh, and not be able to be priced out of it uh, was really attractive. And that's really what's led to the sustainability of us. You know, will lead to the long-term sustainability of us being here is that a lot of the creative people, uh, you know, own their buildings. Right. Uh, what year was that that you moved to Princeton? 2006. 2006. And w- what was this building like when you first moved in? It was a mess. Uh, Robert and has all kinds of construction skills and vision, and my dad is the same way. So when they looked at this building, I just kind of turned my nose up to it. I was like, there's just nothing <laughs> nothing here. It was just a total wreck. But, of course, when I walked into the room that we're sitting right now, the room upstairs, I fell in love. It, it looked like a dance studio to me. And uh, Robert said this is a theater, and he knew he wanted to design a theater here. Um, but it had been a department store downstairs in the past. And, uh, this space was a theater at one point, a Mason hall at one point. So, uh, all of these chairs, you know, when you walk in here, obviously it's a creative space. You just come in and you want to make something. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the first thing that you all started working on? Like so, when you moved in? So we had... The, our eyes on the retail space downstairs as an art gallery. Right. And at the time, we had a really wonderful friend named Dina Brown. She was a potter. She's a beautiful human being. And uh, we had all kind of decided that Dina would focus on the gallery downstairs and we would focus our energy up here on creating the performance space. And Robert would collaborate. We were all, all in collaboration on the, the whole big picture of it. But Dina was kind of taking the reins on the gallery downstairs. And we set out to create the room upstairs. Um, we lost Dina in 2007. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of it was so sad to to see her go. She she left a major impact uh, on this place. She had a actually a an accident in Pipesome State Park. So sad. She was on a golf outing oh, wow. with her friends and family, and uh, tragically, yeah, she fell. Oh, it was so sad to lose her. She was uh, uh, just a absolute joy, an extremely talented person, had huge circles of friends, but uh, she left a pretty lasting impact on this place and. Her creative and artistic legacy, you know, really shows itself here. She was the first person who told me that if we wanted to see the kind of transformation that we were looking at, like a creative transformation, that I needed to get involved with like city council and civic bodies and uh, municipal operations. And so she actually kind of inspired me and cued me into to that whole side of things. And you didn't come from any experience with that, right? You just started diving in and, and you know, attending meetings and yeah. networking. <laughs> so yeah. what was that process like in the early days? So I remember we, so we had all kind of focused on this whole building together and set out to create the whole thing. And it's kind of like, it's a 10,000 square foot space. So there was like all these different sections of the building. And when we lost Dina, it kind of pulled the rug out from under that operation. And so the gallery just sort of hovered in a realm of not really being a, much uh, for a while until we were able to grow our capacity. In about 2013, it, it became what it is now, which is like a, a functional art boutique. Um, but we were creating events um, and this space here, the room upstairs, we started doing concerts and, and open mic nights and special events up here. And we just had this really big vision. I mean, I, w- I wish Robert could be here talking with me right now because he is such a visionary. I met him. He grew up in Summers County and he just has uh, an amazing capacity to 
think big picture mm -hmm. and understand how to get from point A to point B. Um, and so we had this like real vision of transforming the town. And uh, we knew we were, we were starting by creating these venues and these experiences and just sort of like leading from the heart and doing what we felt driven to do. But yeah, it was Dina who really said, if you want to paint the town, if you want to transform things, you need to start, you know, going to city council meetings, et cetera. So I was just sort of watching and paying attention for opportunities. And I remember opening the Bluefield Daily Telegraph one time and seeing an article for the West Virginia Arts Assembly. I was like, huh, what's that? And started reading. I didn't know what the Division of Culture and History was or Commission on the Arts or anything like that. And so we went. We, we went to the state capitol. And at the time, we had um, some people uh, just here living. All throughout this time, we've had friends that were from somewhere like Ohio or New York or Florida or wherever they were from. And they would come here to stay with us and just kind of feel attracted to the work. And we would um, create together, make music or whatever. And so they would live here for a stint of time. So we've had all kinds of people sort of like coming and going over the years. Right. And at the time, our friends Amber and Rich were here. They're from Columbus, um, really talented painter and videographer. And and then uh, a couple of other friends of ours that were, were really involved with what we were doing. And we went to the, the state capitol for the first time. And I remember that that was a moment like we took a lot of pictures and when I look back on it. I recognize that as kind of like a milestone moment. And we were all like, you know, our ragtag crew, like rolling up the state capitol. And uh, we went to the West Virginia Arts Assembly. And that was for the first time I met uh, like Renee Margosi, who was the director of, of art at the time, I think. I can't remember what her exact role in the commission was, but uh, we met her. We met um, Jeff Pearson, who was, uh, I think, uh, the director of individual artists in the commission at the time. And we met, like, um, Rebecca and Bill Kimmons and, and people that were involved in the commission. And they were so nice to us and so kind. And they just kind of, they recognized that we were, you know, big thinkers and, and visionary types. And they kind of took us under their wings and were, were really kind to us. And those relationships still stand like 16 years later, I can kind of look back to everything that we've learned and developed and it all kind of leads back to that kind of first pivotal moment. Right. And so from there, we just kind of watched for opportunities and, and followed leads and went to every conference and community development gathering that we heard of. And one thing led to another. I remember we were in, so the Good News Mountaineer Garage, have you ever heard of that organization? They Sounds familiar. They get donations of cars and they donate them to uh, to needy families and really, really great uh, nonprofit organization. I can't remember how we got connected to them. I think it was something in Mercer County that connected mm -hmm. us to them, but they called us one day and they said that they had a gallery in downtown Charleston and they wondered if we wanted to bring our art to downtown Charleston for one of their art walks. Oh, yeah. And uh, we agreed to do it. And it's funny because it was a was a really big undertaking and it took a lot of time and effort to actually bring all that work there. And at the time we were kind of like, why are we doing this? You know? <laughs> right. But it seems like anytime we have thought that for an endeavor that we're embarking on, it leads to something great. And so we were in downtown Charleston. I remember um, showing Robert's art and playing some music and Doug and Bronya came by, Doug and Brogno uh, with the Charleston Gazette and a, a musician and an artist. And we met him that night and he turned out to be just an amazing friend and collaborator over the years. Um, but also, uh, Mark Tobin Moore is an artist, uh, and he had a studio in the back of that gallery and we were telling him all about what we were doing here in Princeton. And he was really intrigued by it. And he was like, man, y'all really need to meet the folks of, uh, create West Virginia. Have you ever heard of these guys? 
And uh, we ended up going to the Create West Virginia Conference that year. And it led to so many connections. Like That's where I met Kent Spillman of the West Virginia Community Development Hub. And the Community Development Hub has been completely pivotal in everything that we've done. So it's just sort of following those leads and watching for opportunities, following through on contacts you're making. And one thing led to another. And it's all been these building blocks that have uh, got us to the point that we're at now. What's uh, kind of the, uh, you know, the first community project that you organized here, uh, would you say, what, you know, was it a mural or, you know, is, is there something specific that you started working on first other than this building? Yeah, Culture Fest World Music and Arts Festival, which is now in, coming up on our 17th year. That was the first project and open mic nights and open mic nights to us have been the glue. The regularity of it is kind of like church. Some people say it's like church to them because it's that every week you can count on that creative gathering. So that open mic night have, has and has been the cornerstone. And then Culture Fest, World Music and Arts Festival. That's how we've gathered so many of our contacts and kind of built our creative community. And then we've planted roots here in 2006 in the building. Um, my sister moved home with Stages Music School. Uh, she was working in North Carolina and... Uh, we convinced her to move home in 2008 to start Stages Music School. And that really amplified, uh, really created this neighborhood, um, this arts district that was just really starting to happen. And uh, that was the same year that we created Altogether Arts Week. And that the point of that event was to stoke collaboration all around the county and, and beyond, just to get people to think in a collaborative, cooperative mindset. And so that was when the grand finale of Altogether Arts Week is this very eccentric arts parade downtown on Mercer Street. So I can kind of look to that starting in 2008 as this, it's more about the experience of being able to just march down the street together, you know, wearing fairy wings or, you know, whatever, displaying a puppet that you've made and just feeling that kind of uh, collaborative spirit of uh, painting the town, you know, before the town was what it looks like now, you know, it was kind of desolate and dark and things were boarded up and just sort of like a, a little bit of a sad scene down here and then just marching down the street with all this bright, vibrant color and spirit. That was kind of those types of events and bringing the community together and really creative people together in that spirit um, were the first moves that we made. Right. How do you organize those events? You just say, Hey, my four or five friends, I got an idea. You know, what do y'all think? And then it just grows from there. Or how do you, how do you organize something like that? It's not really relationships, just personal interactions with people. It's just like if you're having a birthday party, you know, calling everybody and telling them, you know, we're going to have pizza and punch and you should be here at this time. And it's really about those individual relationships. In the beginning, I did really do a lot of phone calling. And um, as we've grown, we've come to realize that for us, um, rather than having a big group of people organizing an event together. Uh, Robert and I, Robert's the production guy and I'm just kind of like the people mover and having us just kind of um, organize and then bring people together. Um, we, we deal with 10,000 details like porta potties and security and, you know, uh, bringing in a production team and uh, there's 10,000 details that go into that. Um, is there anything, you know, is there anything you didn't think of or like, like, man, I didn't know there was so much involved in all this or... You know, is it, do you kind of take everything in stride and enjoy the learning process? Or do you ever get frustrated in, in, in a short question? You know, is it frustrating sometimes putting these events, events together? I would think the, the frustrating part is like people not really understanding the amount of work that we do to make this stuff possible. I think even 
sometimes friends even really don't get, you know, like for instance, with culture fest, we bust our tails and we lose money on it every year. It's not, it's not a money-making process. Like we invest our own money or rather than, rather than saying we lose money on it, we invest our money each year in culture fest to make this possible. And sometimes we think we've got to stop doing this because it's not healthy. We're, we're killing ourselves to make this possible, but we can't let it go because there's people really, um, the, the event means so much to people and we don't want to let it go for the people, but, uh, it is really, really hard. And, uh, so I don't, I don't know, sometimes friends will like, everybody wants a free ticket. <laughs> you know? We're friends with everybody that comes to the culture fest, you know, the thousand people that come almost all of at least 50% of those people we know very personally and they're there because of our personal relationships. And so friends not understand or being willing to pitch in on the ticket, you know, sure, yeah. it's like, Come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you don't go to a pizza party and just expect the host to provide all of the pizza. Everybody pitches in. So I think that's Definitely. the frustrating part. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. Um, so the grassroots district, like, you know, you all were one of, well, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. There wasn't many businesses here. I think there was a muffler shop when you all moved in. Uh, how many businesses were here when you all showed up? I know you said it was kind of a, a, a definitely a, a more bleak scene yeah um you, you know what was it like so 2006 definitely Marshall Street was like pretty much boarded up it was it was abandoned but there are certain businesses who were here and they stuck it out like Steve Jesse with Associated Photography has been here for like 35 years and he never left no matter you know how the the scene had declined he stuck it through and like Elizabeth's boutique we were so sad to see her go she moved away a few, few years ago but she had this wonderful dress shop and you know she was here through it all through the you know the thriving it was still kind of thriving in the late 90s and the, when the decline uh, happened people like Elizabeth's boutique and associated photography stuck it out and Princeton Public Library, you know, around the same time that we made our move to downtown, the public library was kind of feeling like and kind of envisioning their move into the former post office. And the Princeton Railroad Museum was also like on the drawing board and the visioning board. So it's kind of like we all, a bunch of people had simultaneously sort of had this vision for this next chapter of downtown. And of course, over the years and over the decades, there are a lot of people who care about this street that, you know, have made moves and started projects like the Dick Copeland Town Square. You know, there were a group of volunteers in the 90s that, that built that from what was what, the ugly spot from where that theater burned down. So all kinds of people, you know, community groups and people have been dedicated to this street over the years. I think people have told me, you know, we tried to do that. We tried to have downtown revitalization and just couldn't get it off the ground. And um, I think a big part of it is that like volunteering your time is a luxury. You know, it's not always possible to spend the amount of time that it takes to see a project like this through. So we were just lucky enough to kind of be able to frame our lives in a way that it made it possible to really see this through. Um, so when we planted roots here, you know, we we're planted roots on an already, you know, sort of established and very beloved, you know, street and, and seeing that the people wanted to see happen. Um, there was a, a guy named Albert who had a metaphysical shop called sacred ground uh, and where the library parking lot is right now. So he had planted roots down here. And so there were some um, some people, creative people, that were kind of like hovering around the scene down here too. Sure. I, I, when was it that all these businesses just started popping up one after another? So I, you asked me earlier what the Roof Raff Arts Collective is, and I don't think I ever really answered that question. So, sure, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we... Um, the collective uh, in, involves a lot of different things. We, we create venues and events uh, for 
creative experience. So we've got um, Culture Fest, World Music and Arts Festival, and uh, altogether Arts Week, and The Room Upstairs, which houses all kinds of concerts and special events, and Linium Entertainment is our business, so that's our LLC. And it offers all kinds of content creation and production, so sound production and audio production and video production and various things. We've worked so much on the community development side of things, we haven't had as much time to focus on our business. We've been kind of putting our energy towards everybody else, but we're sort of coming to a time now when it's like, it's time for us to be able to focus back inward and, you know, really work on our business. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2008, we planted roots here in 2006, 2008 stages music school opened, which is an epic music school. It's kind of like a school of rock, but it's which not I'll just get into music. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so there was a bookstore here called the bookworm and it had been here for, for years and years. And there was this, um, uh, a writer and literature lover named Wendy Johnson and her daughter, Rachel Parsons, they had always wanted to have a bookstore and the bookworm needed to, to move on. And so they bought out the bookworm and opened up a uh, day fly books and collectibles. That was in 2008. And Wendy had been bringing her kids here um, to the room upstairs. I was offering some creative performance classes. And so her super talented kids, I got to work with them and she's just a real community lover. You've probably encountered her. Uh, she's, involved in all kinds of activism and Rachel and her mom, Wendy and and her sons. But, um, so they, I think that when the riffraff was here, I think she described to me, it kind of like signaled, you know, okay, it's time to create dreams. So (laughs) they'd always dreamt of doing this bookshop. So they, they went ahead and opened the bookshop in 2008. And that, that's when the collective energy really started to be inspired. The bookstore, now we had synergy, you know, you got the music school, you've got the riffraff, you've got the bookstore. And, um, you know, we, we're doing the art parade down the street, you know, every, every year and, um, creating events like open mic night and, you know, having gatherings down here and that human energy, just sort of snowball of, of positive human energy little by little, just attracted, you know, attracted businesses one by one for a chapter of time. We had a lot of businesses come and go, um, because they had the passion and the inspiration, but they didn't really have the resources to, to stick it through. So we had businesses come and go, um, in 2000 and, 13, I described to you making contact with West West Virginia Community Development Hub and Kent Spellman, who's the founder of that organization. He had always, he'd been, he's amazing. And uh, at the time we were like scraping change out of the couch cushions to make all this work. Like we were on a total shoestring budget and just really scraping to get by. And uh, he recognized our vision and, you know, our kind of the the talent of the collective of, of people that were here and he created jobs for us. He would, um, I think he, uh, hired us, the, the, the hub hired us to create some videos for communities around the state. It was a website called ourmountainstate.org. So we got to tell the stories of Trillium Performing Arts Collective in Lewisburg and, uh, and, all, and Gary Bowling's House of Art in Bluefield. And that was awesome. And then the Blueprint Communities Program, he asked us to uh, write a song about the Blueprint Communities Program. And so, so we did that. So he would just create these jobs for us that really made it as possible to, to stay. Um, and he had always encouraged us to become a part of the Blueprint Communities Program. But I don't know if you, those programs, you have to create an application and, you know, re- apply to be a part of that. And you have to have a certain level of capacity as a community to do that. And Robert and I were always so stretched thin with what we were doing because we were volunteering our time mostly and just didn't have um, that kind of capacity. But uh, at some point, Greg Puckett from Community Connections, a local nonprofit, had tuned in to us. And I, th- I think he just reached out to Robert and asked him to photograph this event called the Teen Expo. And he asked me to come and speak at the Teen Expo about what we were doing. And that is the first time that anyone had ever asked me to speak at an event. So like Greg had 
he's he had the vision and he he recognized my leadership potential and I didn't even know it yet. And he asked me to speak at this event and I recognized that as a pivotal moment too. And so that was the first time I really articulated our story and really kind of like spoke to a group of young people about what we were doing. And um, that relationship that we, that we struck up with, with Greg was really key. Um, one day he asked me, he said, can I go to the Create West Virginia conference with you? And I was like, of course. And he, he said, I hope that we can really stick together because this isn't my scene. And uh, it, it struck me as, as wild because, you know, he's this executive director and very experienced person. And I, but I, I recognize that when you're going into a new realm, like this was the creative people realm for him. And, uh, but uh, that, that day at that conference, I got to introduce him to Kent Spellman. And the window for applications for Blueprint happened to be open at the time. So with the capacity of community connections with his whole staff and they are regularly collecting data and filling out grant applications. So the uh, application process to Blueprint communities was no big deal to them. So we joined forces and we became a Blueprint community. And that process is what helped us put the team together. So they had like a formula for creating a team. So that's how we brought in the city government and the Chamber of Commerce and um, New River Community and Technical College and uh, some business people. And that team, um, they wanted you to name your team uh, throughout that that strategic planning process of Blueprint Communities. And mm-hmm. we named ourselves Princeton Renaissance Project. Gotcha. So blue, uh, Blueprint Community, uh, what is that to somebody who may not know? So Blueprint Communities is a program. Um, it's kind of like a strategic planning program. You get a team together from your town and you go to, um, it's basically like a year long or sometimes they're longer than that, like a year and a half program. And about six times or seven times you come together as a big uh assembly and you learn a lot. There's like enormous amount of information that you're absorbing about all kinds of aspects of community development. And they bring in resources for you, different uh, people to meet that can help you achieve your goals in your community. They help you really define your goals and you create a plan. So it's, if you've never been involved with anything like that before, like for me, it was the first time that I'd ever been involved in any process like that before. And it really caused me to articulate uh, the goals, um, along with the team, you know, we really looked at our downtown. We were focusing on Mercer Street, basically the um, the library down to the Railroad Museum. And we focused on that section of town and just uh, brainstormed on, you know, what were the challenges and what are we trying to overcome? Uh, what are the assets that we have that can help us get there? What are our tools and who are, who are the players and, and how do we make it all happen? And so they help you to refine that and then get it down on paper. And so then we had this like, plan at the end of the process, the actual booklet, beautifully printed, shiny, glossy cover, you know, that we've gone back to time and again to help. It's kind of like a roadmap. Mm -hmm. That's why they call it Blueprint Communities. That's awesome. So the Princeton Renaissance Project, what is that team? What does that look like? Yeah, so um, the Cornerstone organizations, the Princeton Renaissance Project, are the Riff Raff Arts Collective and Community Connections. Like us coming together um, was the kind of the foundation. And the the Chamber of Commerce, the director of the Chamber of Commerce at the time, Robert Farley, was a key member, a core member of that team. Uh, New River Community Technical College at the time, the director was a part of the team. It's ebbed and flowed over the course of time because, you know, People like Robert retired from the chamber and the, the dean of the, the college ended up retiring. Um, there was an architect on the team that ended up moving to Tennessee. And so a lot of the core team members, um, you know, are not a part of that uh, that process anymore. But but Greg from Community Connections and myself, Sherry Anderson from City, City National Bank sat on that core team is still a part of it. And there's a lot of people who are um, a part of that 
team and that's ebbed and flowed over the course of time that you always know you can count on them to call them. Like I can, I can still call Robert Farley. He used to direct the chamber. If I need to know, he's got a, such a vast network. If I'm like, Oh, I need some pebble for the community garden. Where can I get pebble? I'll call Robert. <laughs> He'll tell me exactly who to call. So it's just this like strong network of a team of people that really care about Mercer street. You know, you can call on them anytime. And then Greg and I have been kind of that sort of, um, fail stay, of you know, that, um, moving the charge forward. Not everybody has the ability to be able to go to a two day meeting in Charleston, you know, cause that's what blue, a program like blueprint communities requires of, of a team member. We went into another program through the hub called hub cap, uh, which is kind of like the next step after blueprint communities. And, you know, there's a lot of people here in Princeton who are super involved in Mercer street and I know I can call on them, but they can't get away from work to, to go to these strategic planning meetings. So. Right. Yeah. So, do you, there's a wide range of different businesses on the street. Do you all like actively recruit or do <laughs> people just show up like, hey, I want to put in a coffee shop? Like, how do I do that? It's interesting. It's super grassroots. It's all really personal. And if I, anytime I'm talking to somebody who wants to do this type of work, I, I say that it's really every business on the street has come about because of a personal relationship. So I'll tell you, try not to be too long-winded with the story, but I'll explain. I'll go right ahead. Yes, I feel like this little snapshot kind of captures how we built the business, like the neighborhood uh, that we're looking at right now. So Gary Bowling's House of Art in Bluefield. Remember I told you about All Together Arts Week and how we build these relationships with people, bring people together. It's just like this constant thread of bringing people together, whether it's Open Mic Night or All Together Arts Week or Culture Fest. The name of the game is bringing people together, using music and the arts as a tool. So Gary Bowling's House of Art, we would go to their open mic night and they would come to ours and they were a part of Culture Fest and all together Arts Week we like really teamed up with people in Bluefield and kind of around the area. So we had this real strong relationship with Gary Bowling's House of Art. Now he gets phone calls all the time with people saying, oh, I've got like 10,000 egg crates or like 10,000 chess pieces and or this wood or whatever it is that we want to bring to you because he makes treasure from trash. Like famously, they call themselves dumpster divers because they know how to take materials and like build something amazing. And so one day we got a phone call from them and he said, so there's this lady in Richmond and she's, she's an old lady and she has to go to the nursing home, sadly. And she is really sad to leave her house, but she's a potter and she has rooms and rooms and rooms of pottery molds and, uh, and uh, two kilns. And she's been trying to donate them, but nobody is able to take them. We can't take it. But if you can go to Richmond uh, by this Friday and pick this stuff up, you can have it. And we knew that that was an opportunity. And so we're like, oh man, this is going to be really tough, but we've got to do this. We rented a U-Haul we had to be in this room for a meeting at 8 a.m. the next morning. And so it was like this like journey of 24 hours that we had to do. So we uh, grabbed, we grabbed one of our uh, good friends and we embarked on this journey to Richmond. It was overnight. It was unbelievably difficult. Like the stuff was so heavy. There were thousands of moles. We couldn't even gather like half of them, but we loaded this big old truck. Robert got a piece of ceramic in his eye and almost had to go to the hospital. And like we got lost in downtown Richmond. It was like, why are we doing this? What is the point? And we got home the next day to host this meeting and we were red eyed and it just it was, it was crazy. But like I said earlier, you always know that things that you're asking yourself, why are we doing this? They end up leading to something great. So we had this paint your own pottery shop basically in our basement. And so we just were mentioning to everybody, all of our friends would be like, you know, anybody that wants to start a paint your own pottery shop. And at the time there was a business called local mojo in the neighborhood. It's one of those coffee shops. It's, it, it, it started up and it didn't make it, but it, 
every business that has started up and gone away has paved a part of this pathway. You know, it gathered a group of people together around it, and it was a big. It's a part of the story and how everything has progressed. Local Mojo played a big part in that, even though they're not still here. Um, there was a girl named Lauren. Um, she really wanted to start the paint your own pottery shop, but she wasn't able to. So she was talking to everybody that came into the coffee shop about it. And this local businesswoman, her name's Lisa Lambert, a wonderful seamstress. And Lauren told her about this paint your own pottery shop. And she said, oh my gosh, I have always wanted to start a paint your own pottery shop. So she came to us and uh, we, th- she took over the, the pottery materials and she opened up a business called Let Your Art Shine right here on, in the old veterans building. And the way that she ended up in that space was very personal to the Vietnam veterans. We've known them over the years from being down here and they decided that they wanted to rent their building out because they had an opportunity to move the, the veterans center. And so that personal relationship with them led to us being able to get that pottery shop in that building. Um, they ended up having some family structure changes. So they passed it on to another entity. Um, but Lisa always told me about her son, Will and his wife, Emily, and said they were farmers and visionaries and they're beekeepers. And he and his wife had invented this vaporizer that keeps mites away from beehives. And she said, I just, I've been telling Will all about the opportunities and what we're all doing down here. And I just know that someday he and Emily are going to become a part of this. Our friend Albert, who I told you about earlier, who had the metaphysical store, had bought 858 Mercer Street, which is right across from us at the riffraff. And he had moved to Charleston, and we were always trying to sell that building for him. So, again, just personally talking to everybody we knew about this this building and the opportunity to buy this building, we had told Lisa about it. And so one day she said, I think my son Will wants to buy that building. And that's Will Lambert with the Blue Ridge Bee Company. Mm-hmm. And they recently opened how long did it take him to remodel that? So it took a long time because the building was a mess and it, like a lot of uh, things happened to them along the way. Um, you know, he ended up falling off the scaffolding or breaking his hip in the middle of his journey. And I'm amazed that they kept going like through all his tribulations. But another interesting part of that is that there's this building right next to the theater. It's this tall building. It's the Von Court Modern Apartments. So there's 16 units in it. And um, there was a the owner that had it before was just... He didn't really care about the neighborhood in the same way that we did. And he wasn't mindful about who we would rent to. So the energy of the street is dictated by who lives here. So if you have people involved in nefarious activities living in the apartment, the street's going to have a shady vibe. And so we were always like, how are we going to get this building out of this person's hands? Um, One day lightning struck and it opened up this window where the guy decided he wanted to sell it. And so we were, again, talking to everybody we knew about this opportunity to buy this building. Everyone I talked to, I would mention this opportunity. Will said, I have this friend who, um, his name's Lee Lewis, and he works, he teaches electric at the Technical Education Center. And his adopted grandpa, like this amazing man named Zane Shuck, he's an engineer and an inventor. And they've been sniffing around and they're interested in downtown. So Will told Lee about this building and one thing led to another. They invested in that building, which now houses hammer and stain. They also renovated the building across the street from it. uh, That used to be the music exchange, but the owner passed on. And so they bought that building too and made way for simply beautiful hair salon and a bunch of apartment units. So it's like that personal conversation constantly talking about it it's really grassroots there's no like top to bottom strategic um, business recruitment like happens in bigger cities that you hear about there's none of that it was all grassroots like personal one-on-one conversations you know right it just sounds like it's meant to be like everything's just falling into place and you know is is it getting easier to uh 
promote the grassroots district now that it's starting to catch on easier than it, you know, when you first started? It is. It was like moving mountains in the beginning and everybody told us we were crazy and we knew exactly what it was going to be. We didn't think it was going to take 15 years, honestly. We thought it would take about five years to do what we've done in 15, but it was like having to convince people constantly that this wasn't crazy and this was possible. And now as more and more people catch on yet, it's like kind of tumbling forward more and more momentum and all it's bigger than the sum of its parts now. So it's not just us like as Mercer street evangelists, you know, it's like all the business owners and all the people having their different conversations out into the community. So it's just snowballed in a really positive way. Right. And and you're kind of like the unofficial mayor of, of <laughs> grassroots street. Uh-huh. Has that kind of like, you know, obviously you, you weren't elected to that position, but you're kind of are, that's who you are. So how did that evolve? Like, how did you just start building this name, which you mentioned networking and how important that is. Is that kind of how it grew? Just, you know, putting your name out there and talking to people? Yeah. You know, like leadership for me is just about like doing what needs to be done. It's not about like, oh, I want to be in charge of everything. It's just like in order for something to move forward, you know, you do what needs to be done. And I, I like, to think about flocks of birds too, you know, they each take turns sort of like leading the flock. And when someone, if I don't have information about a certain subject, I'm going to defer to the person who has expertise in that area and let them lead and follow their lead. Um, I've been kind of like a catalyst, like a fire starter type, you know, I'm a Leo. And I think that that's just like (laughs) naturally who I am. It's just to sort of like start things and, um, take initiative. And uh, I'm grateful to people, you know, will, uh, kind of like follow, and when, when it's time for me to lead, but I also really love to be able to, you know, follow when someone else wants to take the lead. But I just kind of uh, did what needs to be done to make it happen. And when we planted roots here, we had to create the scene for us to exist within. And now that it's all bigger than the sum of its parts, like we're about ready to make that transition where we can like operate within the scene instead of having to create the scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, for- so you're going to start fleshing it and working on your business now. Finally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And doing what, like creating and like being an artist within the scene. Cause we're constantly for years, we were creating space for art to happen within and creating conditions and with which creativity can exist. And now it's like, we're ready to exist within that. That's exciting. Cause mm-hmm. now it's like, Oh, it's time for the fun stuff. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's all fun. But like, you know, me being a creative myself, like I would imagine how I would feel if I would not have time to do what I love to do. It's been really challenging. And honestly, like it's been super frustrating and, and like we've wanted to give up a few points. It's just unhealthy because we're doing way too many things. And it's like we don't, the vision is so big and it's nobody's fault but our own for envisioning what we have and creating this like big thing. And we just don't have the capacity at this. We haven't. And so it's been Robert doing the work of like a 10 person production team all by himself. And me managing, you know, I'm probably doing about the job of like, you know, what should be about a five person staff. And I always, Robert's work is just heavier than mine. His is like super high skilled labor. And it's like, um, a lot of heavy lifting, like literally heavy lifting. And so we're at that point now where we just, we're ready to grow our team so that we can more efficiently do these things. We don't want to stop doing any of the things that we're doing. We just want to build the team that does it. Mm -hmm. How do you multitask and do all those things, you know, for a five person team? We ask ourselves this all the time. Like, what is it that's driving us? And it's really, it's like an inherent thing. It's probably the same thing that drives you. It's like something that is just, uh, 
a part of your DNA. Like sometimes I feel like I'm physically being led from my heart. It's just nobody told us to start Culture Fest. It was like this drive and we just somehow knew what to do and we just got to work. Like there was no pause. It was just different events that happened. Like recently started a new event called Peak of the Bloom. And some people would say, well, you're crazy. Why are you starting another event? But it just, we knew it was just something inherent that, and we just set forth to do it. And uh, it's a deep spiritual drive um, that causes us to to do what has to be done in order to make it happen. And uh, I don't really, we don't, I'm not saying we multitask super well. Like we don't balance uh, play and work. Like there's no separation between work and life for us. And it's probably challenging to be our friend because you, we don't accept invitations to come and hang out or it's pro- I would imagine it might be the same with you guys. Like there's just, in, you, the only way you can hang out with us is if, if we're working <laughs> and we enjoy it. So other people that like to work, like we have fun. It's just a, it's not a super good balance at this point. And we're looking to create that. With me and Jenna, Jenna has a really busy work life. Like when we have time, we want to be with each other and we want to, you yeah. know, <laughs> go out and do things. And which I know you and Robert work together closely and, and stuff like that. But I'm sure it's the same way. It's like, man, I just want to go, you know, I want to go see a movie <laughs> with my wife tonight. You know what I mean? Right. So for a, someone who has a good idea that is thinking like, well, I think I could start a business and I want to get a storefront on Mercer Street. Mm-hmm. Where do they start? I like to be a portal for people. I Like right now we've got this family from Colorado uh, that's in the process of buying a building. And uh, there's three businesses. One is a marketing professional, a daughter, two, two daughters. One is an esthetician and the other is a baker. And so they're in buying this building to start this like epic bakery and sort of like multi-purpose space. And they, uh, I can't remember... I think Pat Smith from the Railroad Museum, they were in town and Pat said, you need to call Lori. And so they called me up and I, I just hold, I like to hold people's hands through the process and connect them with whoever they need to talk to. So, um, you know, I definitely don't have all the answers, but I know who to call for the answers. And so uh, I just like to walk people around the neighborhood and show them what's available and connect them with property owners. And then if they're ready to start a business, connect them with, you know, people in the city. And the, like, for instance, the people buying the building, they needed to know who to who should do the inspection. And so just those personal relationships, again, I kind of like to be directory assistants for people and kind of guide them. But if somebody doesn't, you know, kind of discover that opportunity to, to call me uh, right away. Sometimes they'll connect through someone like Greg. Um, and Greg does that a lot of times with businesses too, just sort of walks them through and holds their hand and connects them with who they need to be connected with. Um, mm. What is the cost comparison like? Would you say paying rent here compared to as say Raleigh County, Beckley, for instance, like, you know, some people might think, well, I'm sure it's too expensive for me. And I, I don't think I'll have, the money to start like would they be surprised or is it is it raising now that you're growing or yeah it's fun there's a dramatic variance in the range of rent that people pay here we have people paying as low as two hundred dollars all the way up to seventeen hundred dollars for space on mercer street so there's some building owners who just really want to see someone in their space the space in the grassroots district is actually like shockingly low at this point we don't really have a lot left in the grassroots district there's one spot left to rent and there's a few buildings that still need to be that need to change hands but the owners aren't really they don't have the buildings on the market 
And there's a couple of people who are like holding out. I think they want to start their own businesses and they're just not willing to sell or lease. Um, but there's other stretches of town, like right across from the post office is that next stretch of Mercer Street. Um, and then the historic district has just got all kinds of wonderful uh, spots down there. And there are people buying up those buildings now and renovating. So you've got uh, all kinds of space that's getting ready to open up for people. Um but yeah, anywhere from $200 to $1,700 is the rent. And if somebody's like, you know, looking to um, start a business, there's so much support out there. And like, I know you've probably talked about that a lot on this podcast, but you know, the, the small business development center and the hive over in Beckley with the new river, new river uh, regional gorge authority. Um, and when you reach out to the hub and their programs like blueprint, they have networks of people, resource providers like the, um, Brownfields assistance center has a program called downtown Appalachia. And they're actually assisting, uh, the Colorado family I just told you about with some architectural and engineering studies that they need in order to redevelop that building. So there's just such a strong network of resource providers around our region, especially right now, as so many people want to help us with our transition, uh, you know, economically. So, yeah, and we haven't talked resources a lot for small businesses like that. Like, t- tell us what some of those are. Like you mentioned the West Virginia Hive. What is that? Yeah. So the Hive is a project of the New River, um, New River Gorge Regional Authority, and they are an entrepreneurship support system. And so a business uh, can go to the Hive for help and developing their plan. I think sometimes when you come into, uh, you approach wanting to start a business, you've got passion and ideas, but you haven't really had, uh, the ability to sit down and really define it and articulate it on paper. And when you are looking towards, you know, raising capital to start your business, you have to pitch your idea and you have to be able to say it, you know, in an elevator pitch. And also if you have a chance to pitch in a contest or something and win five or $10,000 to start your business, you need to be able to have a refined presentation that you give and the hive can help you do that. They can help you articulate your goals, um, articulate your idea and get it down, um, in all the ways that you need to have it, like in, in business plan and in your pitch and, you know, your finances and all the, all the things that you need to articulate and need to, in order to move forward with your business. And then beyond that, once you've crossed that, um, and you're ready to like start marketing your, your business, the hive, um, can offer technical assistance where they'll, uh, engage resource providers like, like you or like starry eyes media or, or the riffraff people who can build your website and make a video for you or, you know, make you a logo if you can't afford that. And the moment the hive can engage, uh, and offer you what's called technical assistance where they'll pay for a technical assistance provider to do certain things for you and your business. And that is huge. In the beginning, when we first started, we were looking for help. We just wanted somebody to write us a check. <laughs> like somebody just give us money. And so when people started telling us like, oh, we've, we can't give you money, but we can give you technical assistance. At first we were like, bah, <laughs> just, just give us money. But uh, once we realized what technical assistance Code was. Code for money. Yeah, for yeah. services, yeah. Right, for services. They can help provide you services and that is money. So um, so the Hive does that. And over in Bluefield, um, and there's people like this all around the state, but over in Bluefield, uh, there's the commercialization station, which they've taken over this uh, warehouse next the railroad tracks and they have laser cutters and 3d printers and all this equipment and you can like buy a membership to that place and have access to all that equipment which is huge like if you have an idea for an invention and you want to make your prototype uh you can go to a a place like that and they can help you build your prototype and understand how to move forward with manufacturing and marketing and all of that and then they're constantly giving classes about like you know facebook 101 or how to market your business why your website is important important etc and those are all free classes and so there's people like in bluefield and beckley and, and hinton there's a hive in hinton and so just all around you there's resources you just have to kind of like tap in and follow through 
Fantastic. So what's the plan now? You know, you mentioned you're you're kind of focusing on more developing your business instead of places for people to put their business or to be artistic in. Like, what's the plan for you all for the next five years? Yeah, and I will say that we are definitely, uh, it's all simultaneous. So I will continue to assist other businesses in the neighborhood. A lot of times I feel like as I'm placing businesses in locations, it's the feeling I get when I'm placing vendors at Culture Fest or at the street fair. It's like, I'm, you know, receiving artists and vendors and figuring out what section they'll work best in. And uh, so I'm definitely going to continue to help businesses like place themselves or find a location and get on their feet. And I love being able to coach people. So we're going to always continue to do that in the neighborhood development. But for um, the Riff Raff Arts Collective just became a nonprofit and uh, we're excited about that because for 15 years we've operated uh, two different businesses. There's the Riff Raff Arts LLC and then Linium Entertainment LLC. Um, and we still maintain those. But the, um, the Riff Raff Arts Collective's mission is to be able to empower creative business and, and create space and provide opportunities, creative opportunities for people of all ages, um, empower educational opportunities. So with, you know, Stages of Music School, they do programs like the One Voice Project, which is an anti-bullying um, concert tour. And they've been running on blood, sweat and tears and they just deserve to be funded. And so continuing to like try to seek out opportunities to empower uh, something like the one voice project, or, you know, when we look at businesses in the neighborhood, like um, there's this uh, holler uh, contemporary Appalachian art gallery across the street, just wonderful group of artists and, you know, being able to try to help identify opportunities to help other entities is definitely on the, um, on the agenda for, for the Riff Raff Arts Collective. With our business, Linium Entertainment, um, we we produce events and create spaces. So Culture Fest, World Music and Arts Festival um, is, is one of our main events. Uh, sound production and really high quality experiences, we like for other people to engage us to do that for them. So like Culture Fest is our project, but um, you know, if, if a town wants to have like a really high quality music festival, we'd like for them to reach out to us and we can create that for them. We also love to uh, do the studio um, live recording in the room upstairs. We offer the full service artist development package. So you can come into this space and do a show and all in one fell swoop, you can get your mix and mastered recording, photography and video um, and, and all your packaging that you would need to create a press kit or market yourself within your music and sell your music. We offer that here. And, um, in this room, when you do, uh, a show, it's also a live taping. And so we've been equipping ourselves to make this a space where we would create, um, radio and video shows. So then we would then export that programming, um, and promote it. Now that's part of the narrative change too, just like so many amazing artists in our region and being able to record them and, and uh, amplify their voices. I was going to say, how do you, Melissa, find all these talented folks for sound, uh, for stages? It's, so, it's crazy. It is ridiculous. She is like a magnet. And with, she is incredible artist herself. Like, she's a world-class vocalist. And, like, when you listen to her sing, it's like she could be on a stage anywhere in the world. She's just incredible. And I, I think that her heart is so big. Uh, she cares about people in such a deep way. She's a super sensitive person and she has this ability to make people feel really good about themselves. So she puts an instrument in their hands and somehow gives them like a life preserver. Like the kids that are sort of misfits um, or don't feel like they fit in anywhere, she's able to like put an instrument in their hand and make them feel like they're on top of the world. And she has this just specific ability and a big heart. And somehow, I don't know, it's kind of like some sort of magic she's got that she attracts this incredible talent 
I think with us, um, this network of artists that we've built has been over time, like creating events with a really big heart, like with culture fest, we'll reach out to an artist that, um, is like kind of high level and really expensive. Um, but the specific goal of culture fest is to promote unity and respect for diversity. And it's on this beautiful mountaintop held at a place that's, it's like a, a sacred space. Um, there's a poet and an activist named Don West that founded the Appalachian South Folklife Center. And that particular place has so much history. Um, and that particular spirit of the events, um, uh, is able to attract artists there. Um, we can't pay them, you know, anywhere near their normal rates, but they're attracted to that place because of the spirit of the event. And I think that is what has continued to allow us to build this really strong network of super talented artists. And then when they step into this room, it's just, there's something special about this space. Like Robert has this ability to create an environment that is, uh, is warm and welcoming. It just has a vibe about it. And people really like to record and play here. So that's, what's enabled us to build that real strong network. Perfect. Last question. What would you say to somebody who, um, you know, about starting a business here and the possibilities that are in Appalachia, you know, often we hear this negative narrative and you all have heard it just as much as I have. Um, what would you say to them on why building here is actually possible and a good thing? Yeah, because it's the opportunity to make an impact. I hear all the time from people who live in super populated areas that they feel like no matter what they start or no matter how much noise they make, they don't feel like they can really truly shift that place or it's very difficult to really make a, a huge impact in, in shifting that space. But here in these, in our small towns all around Appalachia, you can actually totally transform a place. I find particular joy in being in my hometown um, and never thought that I would return here, but here I am. And it just feels really poignant to be able to make a difference and impact this place. You know, a lot of times people will say, well, there's nothing to do here. <laughs> like, where do, But the, the thing to do is to make the thing to do. And that is so much fun. It's just an incredible experience to be able to create something that where there was nothing and prove that the impossible is actually possible. Lori, I'm so inspired by yours and Robert's work on reviving our area. I appreciate the meaningful conversation, and I'm looking forward to watching what else you create throughout the years. Find out more about the Riff Raff Arts Collective by liking their Facebook page, and don't forget to check out the Room Upstairs and Stages Music School as well. Appalachian Startup is a bi-weekly podcast, except for this March, as we'll be releasing one episode every Thursday in March, showing off the Mercer Grassroots District for Mercer Grassroots March. So be sure to check back each week for more stories of entrepreneurship. Like us on Facebook and Instagram and support the show by grabbing a sticker from our online store at AppalachianStartup.com. Review our podcast on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud as well. We are on Patreon. You can support the show there and allow us to showcase more businesses in Appalachia. Stay tuned for more stories of underdogs on the rise.